0: Good afternoon to everybody again on a Thursday. My name is Jake Quarry. That is Jimmy Cook, and it is Quarry and Company here. A lot to talk about with the Colts. Also on the program today, we'll talk uh, a, a bit of a sidestep for a few minutes, just about 20 minutes from now. Ricky Taylor, who is going to be here in September running the road course at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but not in an Indy car. We'll explain what we're talking about that coming up here in just about 20 minutes. And then Sage Steele, who, of course, went to high school here in central Indiana, worked at Wish TV 8. Uh, right at the time that I was now, this is the uncomfortable thing, Jimmy, and we can ask her about this when it happens. When Sage Steel was at channel eight, I was at channel six and we were at IU at the same time. She is, I believe one grade to use that term ahead of me, but I was at channel six as like basically a total grunt not even on air at that time, I don't think. Um, and I loved every minute of it. I, you know, working, cutting tape and producing and going out and doing interviews to get sound bites when she was anchoring at wish TV, when we first got out of IU and we were neighbors to an extent at IU, but I didn't know her well. Now, professionally speaking, since she has obviously rose to the, you know, really the highest of levels with 16 years at ESPN that just came to an end. Um, when we have interacted, she she says like, oh, I remember you at six. I think she has me confused with someone. Now, is this going to be uncomfortable? When I have her on, should I say like, I think you think I'm someone else. Like, I think she thinks she's maybe talking to like Vince
1: Welch. I was going to ask you if you had an h- inkling for who it might be she was talking about in that scenario. I
0: don't know, actually. It wouldn't have been Vince because <laughs> they would have worked together. Sure. Um, I'm being somewhat facetious, but She's been. I mean, she's always like, "Oh no!" Like we came, we we came up through the ranks at the same time, and I'm like, "Well, we kind of did." But you were like, I was playing like rookie ball, and she was already like in the AAA. You know what I mean? Yes. Or, or like on her way to the majors. But anyway, Sage going to join us at two o'clock. Let's get to the Colts kickoff tonight. Eight o'clock pregame coming up at five. Jimmy, when it comes to this, there is going to be so much made about Jonathan Taylor and Anthony Richardson. Those are the focal points, and we'll certainly, you know. It's impossible to avoid those storylines. They are ubiquitous when you're talking about the franchise right now and the state of the Colts. But tonight taking on Philadelphia, Shane Steichen going back and seeing a team with which he's familiar. Richardson is going to be under center. The positions, aside from those guys that most intrigue you, are where?
1: Leading off, it's along the offensive line. And the primary reason for that is with how joint practices went this week. No Ryan Kelly, no Will Fries. And Eddie, you correct me if I'm wrong on this and Jake, you can as well. I don't know if it's been officially announced what their status is going to be for tonight, if they are going or not, but let's assume they won't. And it is a depth offensive line. Look with some starters mixed in. That is a very real reality in the national football league. If you simulate seven or eight weeks, the idea of having a completely offensive line or a completely healthy offensive line throughout that time is highly unlikely. You're going to need your rookie quarterback to be able to rely on multiple different protection sets. And I know that it's going to be the twos out there from a Philadelphia standpoint, but that doesn't matter to me right now with the repetition that he needs. So even though on the one hand, everybody's worried about, all right, staying healthy, nobody get hurt, nobody get injured. It does impact Anthony Richardson, though, even though I'm focused on the O-line group of how do these rotational pieces that are utilized throughout his time on the field protect him? Are they able to be as consistent as they were for, say, Sam Ellinger at the back half of the game against the Bears? And how does he respond again with those type of different protection personnel that are there the other side of things and again they're they're directly tied to both the people you've told me to stay away from in this scenario it is the rest of the running back room who we see yeah, get the majority of the carries. Yeah. along again paired with this offensive line with the idea that jonathan taylor might not be i'm not even saying might not be a cult in terms of being dealt but might not be available week one whether it's because he's on the pup or because he's holding out whatever the case may be you continue to look at this running back room and it's like all right who is going to be Not next man up, but we live in an NFL right now where the thought is you don't need a premium running back. You just plug and play a decent running back. As long as your offensive line holds up, they should be able to do the job. That's a theory that's been proven for other teams that operate by committee. The Colts might very well be operating by committee throughout the course of this year. I would like to be a little bit more on the stability side of the running back room. You know, I'm I'm curious of this.
0: Do you believe that... Part of Shane, like when there was so much made about Anthony Richardson not playing against Chicago, do you believe that there is any possibility that the reason they didn't play him is because Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen both knew that that was the game that they were going to be analyzing and determining their offensive line depth? And so as a result of that, they knew it was a line that had not played with each other and that was primarily going to have some guys on the line that we're not going to be playing on Sundays in six weeks or seven weeks. And so therefore – it was better served to protect Richardson and not have him behind that.
1: I think that weighed heavily on it. I also think when you look at the Colts' schedule, there aren't a ton of situations where they are going to have the amount of back-to-back-to-back-to-back reps to live game action that they've had the last two weeks. When you look at joint practices going into a preseason game, going into joint practices, going into a short turnaround of a Thursday night football game, there's not a ton of those on the schedule to this point. And as a rookie quarterback in this league – with the factor of the offensive line still not being its true self, I think it was that, trying to evaluate the O line for him, but also not wanting to risk undue stress that could lead to injury of having so much that happened this week. They clearly, or the last two weeks, they clearly emphasized the joint practices like a lot of teams are as the real evaluator for where their team is at. And I think a second preseason game was always on their mind, but they didn't want it to be sandwiched together the way that this last two weeks have had so much coming at him
0: you know one of the things that here's the thing about this Colts team and I get it it's a total reset but I think that we are under the belief that the quarterback is the only area that re, that they're resetting and the reality is this the reality right now is that the 2023-2024 Indianapolis Colts might be starting over at the quarterback position but the real challenge for them is the fact that they don't necessarily have cemented footing around him in terms of other pieces. The roster is not very good. They have good players, but they don't have a plethora of good players at at multiple positions. Like, I think, you know, Quentin Nelson, when healthy, was really good. But we're not talking about the fact that Quentin Nelson last year wasn't healthy and has had, like, you know, multiple surgeries. How's he going to be this year? Big question mark you know Ryan Kelly when at size and healthy is good but last year he was undersized he lost weight I I totally understand respect and almost give a pass to the personal issues that he and his wife were going through that might have led to his slide from a play factor focus factor and weight factor right yeah but that's a question mark what is he going to be this year Bernard Ryman Started to show last year towards the end of the year that, yes, in fact, he might be a left tackle that you can have for a while and and, and keep as your centerpiece and your pillar. But it, he was learning on the job. And he was not only learning on the job, Jimmy, he was learning on the job with people around him that were not playing at their 100%. Yeah. So how is he going to adjust to that this year? The Defensively, they have guys that show flashes – or looked the part getting off the plane at the airport but it hasn't translated to consistent play their pass rush Quitty Pay Dio you know i mean DeForest Buckner's obviously a very good player but some of the youth around them, they have at times shown the flashes to justify where they were selected and the faith put in them but not consistently so this year like there are multiple areas that if you're Chris Ballard it does feel a little bit like you are plugging one hole just long enough for water to start seeping out another. You've got to, if you're Ballard, wouldn't you be looking at it all the time, saying to yourself, like, what area do I attack first here? Or do I have the most faith in?
1: I mean, you have to, for the reasons you outlined, but also outside of DeForest Buckner, name me a player on this roster that you would describe as, and, and some might push back on DeForest Buckner in that regard, name me a player on this roster that you would describe as elite that is under contract next season. Because I get it. Michael Pittman Jr. will probably get worked out. Like if the Colts want to retain him, they will do that because it's a premium position. But if Jonathan Taylor is on his way out, going into this season, we we can buy in and get behind hope and another leap forward for Alec Pierce and that Josh Downs turns into something special as a rookie. Like we can project those out and hope for that. But there's no definitive, oh, I look at this player right now and he's an elite talent in the National Football League. They don't have one outside of DeForest Buckner and maybe Anthony Richardson, if he takes a leap this year, going into next season under contract where you can confidently say, we have that position worked out. Right. That's not a shot at Juju Brents. That's not a shot at anybody along the offensive line. It's going off of what we know about this team right now with the unknowns of this season that could change that, both for the positive and for the negative. But right now, on August the 24th, there's no elite position player for the Colts that is under contract next season, outside of, again, maybe DeForest Buckner. You ever? Um,
0: are you a hockey fan at all? Not
1: really. I know, okay, I'll get but, into playoff but hockey. But you like but, soccer, yeah, right?
0: Yeah. So in soccer, I don't know if this is the case as much in soccer as it is hockey. I'm not a huge hockey fan either. I I, I can't argue against playoff hockey. It's electric. You, you know what's what's interesting to me about hockey, and I think to an extent soccer, okay, I think both of them and I've always felt this way Jimmy about auto racing if you grew up in an area that doesn't have auto racing. But notably soccer and hockey have one thing in common. I think that they are sports that are probably more simplistic than the novice thinks and so people get intimidated by thinking that it is more intricate than it really is. So when I watch a hockey game, I'm watching it thinking like that there's that I'm only understanding the checkers and they're actually out there playing chess. And in reality, they're kind of playing checkers. It's not as complicated, I think, as I've always wanted to think that it is. Soccer, I think, is the same way. People get intimidated by it because they're like, well, there's one guy, but there's got to be other stuff going on. And it actually is like, well, no, there's like midfielders that their job is to defend, and then there's wings that set up for the striker. You know what I mean? It's it's pretty simple in its pure form. But in hockey, a team can get on a hot streak – in the postseason, notably in the playoffs, with a hot goaltender. Yeah. You get a goaltender that goes through a two- to four- to five-week stretch where they're in the zone, and I do believe in the zone. I don't know if you've played sports and been in the zone before, but where like everything just slows down and like you just feel like everything you touch turns to gold. And goaltenders can get into that zone where they're stopping everything. And I think one of the tricks in the National Football League at determining the long-term value of players at the cornerback position is I do think that cornerbacks can get into a zone and they can go through periods where they're like a goaltender on a hot streak. And so you're watching Pierre Desir or you're watching Kenny Moore the second when nobody knows who he is at first. And you're thinking to yourself, holy cow, this is the next Deion Sanders. This is the next, you know, Champ Bailey. But they're just in a hot streak. They're in a zone. And it's dangerous to put too much emphasis on what a guy is because it can be so cyclical in terms of their psyche. And the second that they get thrown off as a corner, they're back to square one again. And then it's like, well, what are their natural skill sets? So... I think for the Colts at the corner position, because it basically is, there are so many guys that are rotating through. You've got to determine, you know, Dallas Flowers, Juju Brents, who I think Juju Brents has a lot of raw athleticism and size, which is intriguing. So he has the baseline you're looking for, but
1: you can't get oversold, if you will, based on that. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I mean, and that's one of the reasons why we're not in a situation like this yet in Indianapolis, But that's why in today's NFL, we talk about how running backs are often not evaluated the right way. And it's been an adjustment period where they're no longer overpaying that position. If you have everything right on the offensive end and you've built yourself up where you can win in the trenches along the defensive line, I've never been a big fan of overpaying corners because they are often streaky Like right. that you, well, you that's can you get bought into totally. the idea that they are an elite level cornerback when in reality they're just on one of those hot streaks that hot zone and that's where overpays sometimes happen and it's a position group that again it depends on your d- defensive philosophies how much you want to invest there but I've always been a better fan or bigger fan of having action in the trenches winning on the edges having a difference maker a defensive tackle and then I don't want to say bargain shopping cornerbacks but Not overpaying that position. You
0: know, the other thing, and the Colts have been burnt by this in the past as well, and that is by believing too much into what we're talking about and having a corner that is is really good, but convincing yourself that they're asking you to commit to their hot streak. And I think, and I'm going way back here, I know, but... You know, they had certain guys, like, like Jason David was a guy that was a situational corner. And I think that they thought, that Jay, and they knew Jason David was a situational corner. And I think it was New Orleans signed him to a big deal and found out, like, this guy was only good because of the situation he was in in Indianapolis. Like, they kind of protected him, right? And Peyton Manning was the first to figure that out, because when they went to New Orleans, he's like, I'm just going to throw eight touchdowns this game, all at <laughs> Jason David, right? But there have been other guys in the Colts past, way back, notably, that were really good young corners that I think the Colts thought, well, we're not going to overpay based on their hot streak, and we'll let them go elsewhere. And then, like the Ashley Ambroses and the Ray Buchanan's of the world, have gone on to be really good players. And you think, man, maybe they should have locked that in. But it is a roll of the dice. I mean, you just never know, right? You you, know, you absolutely never know.
2: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Two o'clock
0: hour is underway. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook, the other voice you hear on this program, Eddie Garrison, is flying the controls for us this afternoon. It's Query and Company here on 935 5, 1075 the fan joining us now on the program she just completed a 16 i believe 16 and a half year run at espn and of course as i had mentioned a graduate of carmel high school in indiana university who i think actually has me mistaken for somebody who she knew well at iu uh and liked which is cool with me but sage Steele joins (laughs) us on the show uh sage first off thanks for joining us how are you
3: i'm great congratulations jake query and company
0: well, I appreciate that. You know, I here's the thing. Um, doing middays after working morning radio is, I mean, Sage, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, morning radio is tough, right? I mean, I, I, like, I got, yeah. I enjoyed doing it. I love doing it. But getting up early is, is something, man. You know what I mean?
3: You know what? When I first started at ESPN in 2007, I crashed and burned on SportsCenter. They, they promoted me a lot. I mean, and I... Listen, I struggled. It's a long story for the book someday. However, the first consistent gig I got after that was on Mike and Mike doing Sports Center updates, live at 6 a.m. Um, and, you know, live is live at that time of day. It's tough. And then there's TV live where you have to have a face on and cute clothes and pretend like, like your brain is actually working with a smile. Mike and Mike told me, Golik and Green told me at that time, they've been doing it for, you know, however long, decades. And they're like, you never get used to it. No matter what. And I never did, and thank goodness I wasn't on it for too long because it's just not even healthy. It's not. So congratulations.
0: Yeah, it's tough for sure. Uh, I enjoyed it, but to your point, um, you do think about those things, especially when, at least in my case, you start to get old. Um, Sage, let's go back to that. You know, In terms of your your journey at ESPN and the various capacities that you had, you obviously ascended to the point of becoming, um, if not – the one of certainly the faces of the organization and then obviously now no longer with espn has kind of the realities of what took place settled in for you and for those that are unfamiliar with it why is sage steel no longer at espn
3: okay those are two deep questions query um have i have i gotten used to it no I've been working since I was 15. I've been at ESPN since I was 34 years old. Um, I, I mean, it is what it is. Age is just a number, and I'm really young and cool and immature mentally. <laughs> I'm 50 now, so my goodness, that's a good portion of my adulthood. And certainly, when I got there, my kids were 11 months old, two and four. They're now 17, 19, and 21. Two in college, one a year away from college. So it's been—it's all—it's all I've known. It's all they've known even when you know something is coming and it's pretty imminent um, when it actually happens, it's like, no. So it's strange. I don't really know what to do with myself because I've had to be so structured for so many years and I do love the structure. And as a military kid and military upbringing, I I thrive on that structure and that high pressure, to be honest with you. Um, And I kind of had, I mean, my lawsuit went for a year and a half almost. Um, So, I kind of had a long time to mourn, so to speak, mourn the ending, even though I didn't know when it was going to happen. Once you file a lawsuit against your employer, (laughs) like, you know, it's going to end prematurely, you know? So I knew it was coming no matter what I will tell you this. I'm heartbroken at how it ended. I'm heartbroken over feeling like I had to make a decision, to the point where to have to stand up for myself, I don't feel like I should ever have been in that position. And, you know, there's a lot of people who just say, you know what, just stay quiet and shut up and get your money and do your job, your dream job. Um, And I think that that's what a lot of people have done and not just in TV and not just in the stand, like all across the country, just shut up and get. And I had done that for many, many years. So this goes into your second question. Like that's why, that's why I'm not there because I had a decision to make that was very personal. Um, as far as how I want to be treated, uh, as an employee, as a very, very loyal employee. And when there are different rules for different people, that's when I find it unacceptable. All I ever wanted was consistency. And if everyone else can speak their mind about many topics that have zero to do with sports, even on ESkin's platforms and on their social media, then I can do the same, um, especially when it's Issues that are I'm asked about that are pertaining to me and my decisions in my life as a biracial woman with a, a, a vaccine mandate, et cetera. So um, I, I made a decision, and it was a decision I knew would change my life by deciding to stand up, especially because it was so public. And I worked for a massive, worked past tense, see, we we're for a massive company. Um, I don't regret a thing, Jake. I... I have a really strong faith, and I know that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, even though I don't know what tomorrow brings. I'm really at peace with it, even though I'm still trying to adjust to everyday life. It's only been, you know, what, nine days and days. So give me a minute.
0: Well, the thing that I think that would be tough, Sage, and I commend it, you, you know, it's, it's interesting to me. There's a quote from Voltaire, and I don't know if Voltaire actually ever said this or if it's just attributed to him amongst many other people. But the quote is, I may not agree with the word you say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. And I think that there are people, you and I, I think, um, disingenuous to say we know each other well, but we know each other. I think in yeah. many areas we we think differently, but it doesn't impede the fact that we are friends with one another and that we respect the other's opinions, even if it's not the opinion that's best for us. And, and I think that's difficult for people. And did you find it frustrating that... That was, at least from my observation, and you tell, tell me if I'm off base, but that was all you wanted was that understanding. Is that fair?
3: Yes. And frankly, whether it's a corporation or a neighbor, a friend, an acquaintance, if you're pushing and preaching about diversity and equity and inclusion and tolerance and acceptance, to me, it begins and ends with diversity of thought, Period. Like I have no more patience for people picking and choosing which kind of diversity they want to accept, and that's all I ever wanted. That's all that you know. Many companies preach, and but then to not practice it or pick and choose when you practice it, um, I I think it's bad business, and I think I don't think it's fair or right. What I'm hoping comes from this, and and that's the thing. This is so much bigger than me. It really is. My hope and prayer is that. Others don't have to make these kind of decisions to choose between doing what's right for you morally, um, financially in every way, and, you know, your job, your career, your livelihood. And for me, that's what I had to choose. Most choose to just kind of stay quiet and be silent and take it. And I get it. I did that for years. Here's the thing. I don't care about anyone's politics. And by the way, I've never once told anyone who I vote for publicly ever. I I don't go on any platform really screaming about politics per se or candidates because I don't care what you think. I, I really don't. You meaning the world. And it shouldn't matter who I vote for as well. This is these are about issues that certainly are hot button issues. And I love how people assume they know your politics, so to speak, just by the opinions you have on one or two or three issues. But if I base my friendship and my relationships on people's opinions and political standings, I, I, I don't know. My, my friendships might look quite different, but the people that I choose to have in my life love me for me. I love them for them. And it has nothing to do with their opinions on hot button issues or politics or cultural issues. Like stop. And to me, it, it's all about, accepting everybody in every way. It's amazing how we're so quick to say, yeah, you know, uh, all the other areas today with LGBTQIA plus and how you want to identify and whatever you want to say about yourself and how you want to identify great, except here, you know, so the hypocrisy is thick. And I really hope that by standing up that others can feel empowered themselves too, and not be scared. Do you know how many people have come up to me or written me people that I work with? Uh, a lot more men than women to be honest, to be honest with you quite often who pull me aside and say thank you I wish I had the ability or the courage to do what you're doing and and, and some do and choose not to and some don't have the ability to because of whatever reason finances their, their family how, what they would think it is always a choice though it took me a long time to make it and it's just mine everybody else can do what they want and think what they want about me and I'll end with this because I'm sorry I just rambled you got me going Jake like at the end of the day I think one of the best things that I've learned through this process probably over the last five or six years, what freedom you gain when you let go of thinking, of caring about what everybody else thinks of you. It's easier said than done, especially when you're in an industry like ours. But I feel so much relief by finally letting go of trying to please everybody, the world, as a woman, a a mother, and an employee. It's okay if you don't like me based on my opinions that's fine that's your laugh I'm kind of fun but I've let go and that's been that's provided a lot of peace for me
0: I think the thing sage and listen you are obviously I don't even begin to imagine the stage on which you were performing you know is is Broadway and and I'm performing at Footlight theater here at 11th and Alabama or whatever it is right I, I get it but there are some comparisons in the fact that and i wanted to ask you about this like was it difficult to finally be open and transparent with yourself which then allowed for people who would have considered you based on your position to be untouchable to then show them that you are in fact vulnerable and that you were willing to expose that vulnerability in order to for the for the first time put up your own defense Does that make sense? What I'm I asking. I
3: understand, no, because you you said it, to kind of be quiet with myself and and think about the risk that it is and being vulnerable.
0: Well, in other words, I think that when we when you when you're doing what you're doing, you're Sage Steele of ESPN. You're traveling around. You're on national television. You go to airports. People know who you are, and the perception of the viewer is that you have this perfect life and this perfect job. And, and so therefore you have to, to an extent, you have to portray that character on television that you have this perfect life and this perfect job. Whereas in reality, for the first time to show them who you are is actually to show them that you are in fact vulnerable. And was that difficult to tear down that character?
3: This is going to sound silly, but, um, Instagram has actually helped me with that unknowingly. It sounds so silly. Here's, let me explain, um, I think I felt a long time ago this this whole, you know, pressure to show happiness. And everybody, I think, is on, on social media, should be aware, right? It's like, okay, there's Instagram and then there's real life. So I actually have had a lot of fun with it over the last several years, especially with my kids and showing the reality, you know, I will blow my kids up. And I'm like, listen, I told you to clean your room and it's a disaster and you have... 20 minutes, or I'm gonna come into an Instagram story on you because all their friends follow me, and it works. So um, the room ends up being pretty clean. But the the point is, is that like, guess what? I might, you know, portray not perfection certainly, but just this um, this certain life on TV because number one, I loved my job, loved to the very last day I was on the air, and that's where I get choked up because I loved it and I regret nothing. Um, But I also, you know, it's like. Okay, yes, I'm a smiling face. I'm talking to, you know, name any big athlete in the world and what a blessing that is. And I have makeup, great makeup, and hair. Hair is never so great. And wardrobe. And, and and then, yeah, the life is amazing. But I wanted people to see the other side. I wanted people, especially other mothers, to see that I deal with crap with my three kids, too. I got divorced four years ago. That's been, oh, my gosh, it's been brutal. What I have found, Jake, is the more vulnerable I have been, the more people have kind of flock towards me in a, in a private way saying, thank you for sharing this. I know I'm not alone because people are afraid to show their imperfections. Like I have enjoyed it and it's almost been therapeutic for me to show that other side. There's work. We all have to clean it up at work, but then there's the other side. And I think if we just let go of that attempt to, to be perfect, it really takes off so much pressure at work, you know, maybe with my peers. I quit caring about what they think years ago because they kind of, many of them showed their true colors a long time ago. So that was really easier. Um, but I think what a blessing to let go of that, of that desire to be so perfect, which, trust me, as a little girl, as a young woman, and even probably till about five years ago, to be honest with you, I was so worried about what everyone thought and my bosses and proving, let me prove to them how dedicated I am. Let me prove this. And then, it was never enough. But that's not on them. That's on me to so adjust how I think about myself and how I choose to portray myself. And that has been the biggest gift is is to let go and be your best whenever you can. Be honest. And others have really, you know, drawn towards me and said, thank you for sharing that about your personal life. And I, I think it's, I think everybody wins when we can just be ourselves. And I know it's so hard to get there, but I hope by sharing I can help others get there, too, sooner, if that makes sense.
0: You loved your job, Sage, but was did you finally reach a point where you felt it didn't love you back?
3: <laughs> yeah. Yes. Can we um, put that in bold lettering? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that was one of the harder things to accept. It's like, wait, in general, you're encouraging everybody to be true to themselves and be themselves and get out there and do this. But not me. So that was definitely a very difficult, big fat pill for me to swallow. And um, to accept that was tough. And then it's up to me. What am I going to do with it? So it doesn't mean that I was like, "Yes, let me find a way to get revenge. I don't know. It's not what this was. It would have been so much easier, so much easier to just stay quiet and safer and um, my kid, for on my on everybody on my kids uh, financially, but and I know I think I might may have told you this before, and and some people might roll their eyes at it, but for me, it has led me in my life so many different ways, and it's from my dad, who was a football player at West Point. He broke the color barrier, first black man to ever play varsity football at West Point, all American, drafted in the NFL. Like he's my guy, and as kids, he made us memorize. Part of the cadet prayer and, and this is the portion and i hope it will explain why i i chose to do this um, help me to choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong and to never tell a half truth when the whole truth can be one so this is definitely the harder right for me i'm not saying it's wrong for others to stay silent for me it was the harder right and guess what i can finally tell the whole truth not just half of it
0: so basically In summary of all of that, Sage, in terms of, for those that are unfamiliar, tell me if this is a fair statement if I was doing a book report, which I never really did well on my book reports, but um, the book of Sage Steele would be this, and that is that she had a job that she loved, she had a company that she worked for that gave her the opportunity to achieve a childhood dream, but ultimately she couldn't get past the fact that She felt like there were stipulations on things that she was able to say, and it bothered her because she felt like that was limitation of the actual freedoms that that job should have been able to afford her to exercise it properly and accurately.
3: I would tweak the end because it isn't about I should be able to say this and me, me, me. It's about being consistent with the rules and how we handle things with with each front-facing employee. And all I wanted was consistency. And if some people are allowed to get out there and talk about you fill in the blank, all of the things (laughs) from what was happening in Florida with the parental act uh, to um, Roe v. Wade being overturned and to be able to talk about that on our airwaves, personal opinions on our airwaves. But I can't talk about things privately on a podcast, Um, privately meaning things that have affected me personally, not privately, personally. Um, and then I'm publicly forced to apologize, and they put out statements and take me off the air. So no, all I wanted was consistency. So the I
0: parameters of what you're allowed to say should not be determined based on what you're saying.
3: Correct. Period. Yeah. Pretty easy. But See, I'm gonna tell you this: I don't regret like I don't regret a thing, Jake. And most importantly, I loved loved my job. And I loved so many of the people with whom I worked. And I, I, I have no regrets. I got to live out the dream that most people in our industry don't get to. So please know how grateful I am for every moment, even the parts that broke me. I'm, I'm really grateful to ESPN and to Disney and to my teammates because that's what they were. They were teammates.
1: Sage, you've mentioned in nearly every interview you've done when your family has come up how important family is to you. As you look at at what's next for you before you jump into what's next career-wise, how much are you enjoying the opportunity in front of you to spend even more time with your family, particularly your girls?
3: Well, um, my son is a lot easier than my (laughs) girls.
1: Sure, (laughs) sure. Boys tend to be
3: easier than daughters. This is what I've learned. Um, My older two left for college. And they left last Tuesday, the day that I was um, flying back from my mediation in Los Angeles. So that hurt. You know, I mean, I said goodbye before. We all knew what was coming, but it hurt to not be there at that moment. And you know what? There's been so many moments through the years that I've missed. And... If I wasn't there, then their father was there. So they were fine and taken care of. But as a mother, and I'm pretty traditional, like I, it broke me to not be there for so many things. And guess what? It's different. Now they don't need me as much. But for this last year of, my, of high school, for my youngest daughter, I said to her, I'm like, I'm going to be here. I'm not going to miss anything. And she's like, oh, no. you going to stalk me and be around. I'm like, yep, you're welcome. You win. But guess what? I'm here when she needs me. And I get to choose that for the first time since I became a mother in May of 2002. Like, what a blessing that is. How about my my parents who are older? They just moved to Florida. My dad has two kinds of cancer. Not one. He had to beat his brother and get a second one. They had a competition, apparently. And I get to be there for my mom and dad when they need it. And right now, they kind of need me. If I need to get on a plane, I don't have to ask for a day off and, and for someone else to cover for me. I don't have to bargain for a comp day and beg and say, I'll pay it back. I can get on a plane and be there for my parents as, they, as they've been here for me, especially throughout the last two years. They have literally lifted me off the ground at times, um, literally. So that's the biggest blessing, right, is to be able to be there for them. Um, and it's something that it makes me emotional because I've never been able to. And um, I, I'm really – I'm really
0: blessed. Sage, I think one of the things, Sage Steele's our guest, by the way, here on Quarry & Company on ninety-three-five one zero seven five, The Fan. One of the things that has become very surreal for me is, you know, we we are the same age. And while, again, as I mentioned, I mean, it's disingenuous to say that we were like really good friends, but we knew each other at at younger points in our life. You, You lived, we lived near one another in college. And then you were at eight when I was at six. And that doesn't seem long ago to me at all. And you're talking about like your kids going off and and chasing their dream and being in college and getting ready to start that journey. And it's really weird for me, Sage, because more often than not, I feel like I'm still there and that my parents are in their 50s. And I have to remind myself that in fact, my parents are not, and I'm the one in my 50s. And that nonstop circle in terms of life itself really is hard sometimes to grasp. And as a result of that, it is a challenge to realize sometimes that now the adulthood is ours. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like, so, so I I think it's healthy that the perspective, not to, not to say you didn't have it, but don't you kind of take it as like this blessing that that perspective now has been bestowed upon you.
3: I mean, I've, I've always been very aware of time ticking. you know, Uh, even when my kids were little and, and I, sometimes have to remind myself that I, was doing a crazy full-time, very full-time, very front-facing, high-pressure job um, the entire time since I became a mom. That's all they've known. But I, when my third kid was born, my first was still three. Like It was nuts. And I, I don't remember much, sadly, because that was just survival mode. But even then, when I was so tired and really scared and didn't know what my future was, and you're just trying to stay on and do well enough to get another contract, you know? I, I remember being like, oh my gosh, we have to enjoy these moments while we can. And just like that, the kids are gone, you know? And we're talking career stuff and first job for my oldest daughter. Like, where the hell did the time go? And that devastates me in many ways, you know? Um, but it's also, I also think we were all reminded during COVID how precious life is, certainly, how precious time is. And that's why i was I, I to still. Even during COVID, my butt was on a plane every other week going down to, to Florida and to be with my parents or wherever because I was like, no, 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 we, we can't lose this time. We don't know if we get it back. So we got to live. And it's certainly cliche, but I know that me now more than ever, I'm like, let's go. And I'm trying to experience things. And now I, I, I'm I looking forward to figuring out what's next. Um, and I hope to have some answers Soon, because I'm, I'm enjoying that that process for sure. Um, but I, I, I know that I, I will never really allow a job to dictate so much in the future because I don't want to regret missing out on time with the, the people that I love.
0: Now, you went down to University of Alabama and spoke to their football program uh, earlier this week, I think it was, or maybe at the end of last week. Um, yeah, it was this Monday. Is, is that something that you have done frequently my apologies for not knowing that and then secondly what was your message to them
3: um i i have done just speaking gigs like that in general for a long time um i've loved it i used to come back to iu a lot um you know when they would ask and i loved that uh i think it's so important to pass that on because when i was in college uh we <laughs> i i you know, it was different. And my major at IU, sports communication, broadcast emphasis, very specific. It was a brand-new major at the time. And it was in the, in that hyper school, the health, physical education, recreation. Now it's part of the sports media school, journalism school. It's it certainly changed, but it was a very young major. I think it was in its first or second year. And they, and there were no people to come in and speak and, and talk specifically about the career field that these kids are choosing to go into and um, answer questions. And so I, I never had that. I feel like it's my duty, one that I love, to speak when asked to these kids because it's just and, – and you know what? As you may expect, I'm really honest, too. It's like, oh, this is this is awesome, and this is certainly fun and memorable and glamorous, and then here, let me tell you about this truth as well because if we don't share that, no matter what field our kids are going into, then that's just – that's not right. Let's help them prepare better than I was prepared. Um, I do – for Alabama, by the way, that was planned – Probably three or four months ago. Um, And let me tell you, there's been a lot of people who've canceled on me. I've lost a lot of opportunities and a lot of money uh, with standing up for myself. Um, And it meant a lot that Coach Sabin and crew there said no, no, we, we want, we're open to all messages not just one do you call your speaker series
0: do you call it sage advice because that's what i think it should be called sage (laughs) advice is that (laughs) what it's called
3: that's low hanging fruit i know but it's
0: i mean but but that has to be what it's called right
3: (laughs) (laughs) no it doesn't i don't have the title for the speaker series because it's so different every time especially when you're speaking to the room with 130 young men and coaches you know, okay,
0: when you come there on stage, woman in there? when you come on stage, do they have to unveil the steel curtain? You see, that's that's better than sage advice, isn't it?
3: No, because they don't. You don't spell it the same way. It's, I oh, have I an E You've and any. got to work with me. Come on, <laughs> you know. I'm I'm quitting on you here. My message for them, it, well, it, it adjusted, it changed versus what it, it was going to be based on, you know, what happened what had happened six days prior. Um, and I really struggled to come up with, with the right message. And, you know, you're asked to come to these things to share your personal experiences, but then how does it relate to them? You know? So for me, it was on Monday with Alabama, it was what, what's your, why, you know, okay. Why are you a football player? Why, why did you choose that? What is it about it that made it so special? Um, and then as you go forward in life um, you're going to have a lot of other challenges along the way. And how do you choose to handle them and why? And, 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 okay, and that, that relates obviously to what I just went through. Why did I choose that this was the time to stand up? Um, so it, it, it made sense <laughs> in the moment, I promise, but it was it was really cool to to me. I love speaking. I love that in-person stuff because you can see eyeballs, you can see reaction, you can see smiles, or you can see people falling asleep, you can see whatever it is. Um, but I, that, that adrenaline is really... I love that. And it's just like being on on national TV, except maybe harder because you can see reactions, you know, Um, sometimes on TV, actually from day one, I always, I would get so nervous, always so nervous, not as much, you know, the last probably five or 10 years, uh, but certainly a lot of adrenaline. And when that nervousness would come, especially I remember when I'm hosting NBA Countdown on ABC live leading into game seven of the nba Finals in golden state or in cleveland or something you talk about adrenaline and oh my gosh there's potentially 30 million people watching i had to mentally change and pretend like i was that little girl on the couch just talking sports with my dad again and so in the camera i would picture my dad's face not the reality i mean he was watching but um so were a couple million other people and that's what kept me somewhat calm it's harder when you have eyeballs and I, and, but I love that challenge because it's so much easier. It looks so much easier than it really is. And that's, that's something I'm going to try to continue to, to, to work on. And I've always, even when I was working in indie from 97, 98, I would come do that Tuesday cult luncheon and they'd bring their sponsors in and did it for free for a couple of seasons. And I'm so grateful for that because it taught me the importance and the difference between being on camera and being in person. So I, I want to keep speaking if, if anybody will listen, because it's not about my opinions about issues. It's about being true to yourself, you know, um, and not being afraid to, to be you in a world that picks and chooses
2: right now.
0: Lastly, Sage, I think personally, like for me, I, I've mentioned this before because I think I'm, a, I'm like you in that fact that like when I was a kid, this is what I wanted to do, right? And so I think for me at times when I've become complacent, I, I'm able to reawaken that drive and remind myself of you know, that, that vision that I had and that competitiveness I had to get to be able to do what we do for a living. But also with that came always – this little insecurity and this fear that I wasn't good enough or somebody else was better. I was going to be rejected and I've never forgotten that either. Um, and it still exists in me a little bit. Is that now awaken you? Are you, are, are you afraid?
3: No, I'm not afraid. Oh gosh. I'm not afraid. I am. I think the difference between being fearful about something or being anxious, um, I'm anxious to get going again because this is what I do. It's all I've ever done, you know, Um, but I'm not afraid. And some people, even some people in my small circle are like, oh, my God, we got it. Yeah, I'm like, no, I don't have to hurry. I mean, I'm not sitting around. I'm not headed to the beach or anything like uh, I'm I'm just, Jake, I'm I'm not afraid of anything anymore. That's the thing. Once you... Really, we can say we believe in ourselves, but then there are certain things that are going to really check you on that. And I have so much room to grow as a human being, as a mother, much less a broadcaster. That there's there's priorities here, and I just think there's bigger things. I'm not fearful, but I'm freaking ready because, um, you know, SportsCenter was such a huge challenge every day. I, I wanted my show that was noon to two Eastern. Everybody knew it was kind of the hardest show in the building to do because there was always some sort of news and breaking news, and we had the best director and the best producers. And what we did just in the 25-minute first block of the show, walking across the studio, walking in, talking, doing highlights, live interviews, like, it's insane. And I'm so proud because I know that we are at the top of the industry as far as being able to execute that kind of stuff every damn day. Um, that's something that, that I'll always – always be proud of. Um, But that's why I would have the adrenaline rush and a little bit of nervousness every day because it was hard. And I never, even throughout this whole process with a pending lawsuit while I'm still on national TV for that company, it made me better. It made me more in tune and extra picky about every word I was saying And I would get them to the two-hour live show, and it was, you know, we had great, 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 great. And then I was like, oh, I really flubbed that question to Adam Schefter or whatever. So if anything, this challenge, being so uncomfortable, but still having to go to work for that company and wanting to go to work, it made me better. So now I'm like, bring it, especially again, once you don't care what others think to the extent that it would affect you, you know. I'm so excited for what's next. And um, I, I think I've never then ready to go bring it and try to make it great and bring people up with me because that's the thing. I want to bring along other people, other young women and men who feel fearful because of all these legitimate reasons. And I hope that my crap can help others feel like, let's not, you don't have to be scared, but you got to believe in yourself and let go of all the other stuff. And you'll if you don't try, you'll always regret it.
0: And you think the next step begins when?
3: I no. know. I mean, soon, soon. Um, I'm having a lot of fun conversations and it, soon, but I, I, it needs to be absolutely the right thing. And most importantly, with the right people, I need the right people in my life to, in that way. Um, and I'm, I'm excited because I do have a lot of great time. Listen, 28 years in this business, God, we're ourselves Um I have, I've met some incredible people, and the people I've heard from over the past week, it's just, it's a reminder. Because I will tell you, I've felt very alone at times, very, very alone through this process. Um, but you do find out who your real, real friends are, so to speak, when you go through something like this.
0: Well, Sage, if you make it down to Bloomington for your Sage advice, sorry, I, 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 I actually <laughs> thought it was just too easy um but if you go down to talk to IU anytime soon swing by the apartment complex where we live cuz i think they're raising it like next week and probably should have like 5 years
3: ago are they Jackson Heights
0: uh, i mean let me tell you something. i don't know if they're raising it but last time i went by there i'm like wait we they lived here should. i mean it was it was I near buffalo so that was cool but that, that's about and, the extent of it right and pat
3: and pat night was right next door i mean we had quite oh a- it was great Quite a character. That's
0: great. I mean, we played ice hockey with Pat Knight's frozen fish after it passed away. I mean, it, it, we did a lot of things that probably were not necessarily <laughs> couth. But hey, you know what? Let I didn't
3: us... get the invite to that one. I wish that you had invited me. But by the way, that was the listeners and everybody back there in the control room. That was when Jake was too cool to talk to me. That so, so now I'm glad that we've, that we've gotten to this <laughs> I, point in our Sage, relationship.
0: Sage, I opened it up by saying you had me confused with somebody else and I've never been more convinced of it, right? <laughs> Never been more convinced. You're the best. Hey, Thank I appreciate the, the time. We look forward to it. anytime you want to come on. You're always welcome. We certainly wish you the best. I appreciate the transparency.
3: Listen, next time I'm there, I don't know what it'll be. I'll come in studio and then we can arm wrestle and I'll bear you in front of all your guys.
0: All right. All right. Sounds good. We appreciate it. Bye. Uh,
3: Thank you
0: guys. See you. Sage Steele.